monsters have never just been monsters. If we were to see Frankenstein's monster as a landmark moment, then the monster has always been metaphor. Of course, we can find wider starting points for monster tales going back to folklore, myth, the oral tradition in general, but let's be honest, Frankenstein is as good a starting point as any for the modern monster tale. Um, the novel itself is a continuation of myth entitled The Modern Prometheus, a reminder that even if we are to delve further back into time, these tales are moral ones, symbolic ones. Of course, Frankenstein was a major influence on Ishiro Honda and the Godzilla franchise, with the original King Kong vs. Godzilla planned at one point to be a Frankenstein film, um, hence that odd scene where Kong charges himself up on electricity. Frankenstein is a good explanatory point for today's films, however. Both are on the surface coincidental kaiju films. Frankenstein, and spoilers, I guess, is not really about the monster. It is about man's ambition, it's about class struggles, about father figures and extensions of self. It's about a lot of things. It's tempting to say that in Polgasari, the eponymous monster is coincidental too. This DPRK made kaiju film as our first kaiju period drama. Uh, uh, set in medieval Korea and focused on a feudal uprising. Here, the narrative is really about farmers rebelling against the monarchy, rising up and taking down an oppressive regime. The kaiju is an extension of this. There was a story that could be told without it. Our second film is the second kaiju we've covered from an Academy Award-winning director. It's Bong Joon-ho's 2006 film, The Host. Uh, this film is inspired by an incident from the year 2000 in which an ROK mortician working for the US military was ordered to drop a large amount of formaldehyde down a drain into the Han River. Director Bong's film takes us a step further, opening of this moment, fictionalised, and then jumping a few years into the future when the dumped chemicals created a mutated fish monster that starts to terrorise the local area. Fundamentally, though, this is a film about imperialism, like Polgasari. These narrative beats are an excuse to showcase where the US treats the ROK, the scars of occupation, and the ongoing impacts of American hegemony. It is also about family, about the beaten down and forgotten who are neglected by society, but also in film. When the monster, nicknamed Steve Buscemi by the crew, more on that later, first attacks a riverside beach, our hero somewhat haphazardly tries to fight it. But so does a white American man. His girlfriend has to hold him back while he's desperate to help. There's a smart evocation of a white savior complex deployed with a tongue firmly in cheek. This man pushes our actual hero, or hero to be, out of the way to try and save people and doesn't really manage to save people. He shows a feat of strength and hurls a large rock at the monster and it does basically nothing. Our white saviour is quickly dispatched by the monster and the film continues without him. Interestingly, this random man has the same blonde highlights as Song Kang Ho's protagonist, Gang Du. His hair is just much smarter, so to speak, much more, in quotes, stylish. On a visual level, he seems designed to be the Hollywood movie star version of Gang Du. He is white, American, athletic. He looks like who we expect to see in a monster movie saving the day. And he fails. And we get Song Kang Ho's Gang Du instead. This is core to the subversions at the heart of Bong Joon-ho's Hollywood influence, but ultimately anti-Hollywood tale. The structure, the tone, the way it plays of character. It's also distinct from Hollywood movie making, yet the blockbuster form it's playing with in the decade it's from is oh so American. This disruption of the form is just another way Bong Joon-ho manages to make a brilliantly anti-American picture. The monster itself is then somewhat of a byproduct. It is a catalyst for a film with wider themes and a way of focusing on family. We even get the monster very early as opposed to the traditional late awakening in Polgasari, indicating a want to get it somewhat out of the way. The monster merely serves a wider purpose. However, the brilliance of both of these films is that though the kaijus could have been coincidental, they just aren't. The nature of each beast is such that it is core to the politics of each film. Here, like with Frankenstein, the monsters are inexorably linked to the metaphor. In fact, they are the strongest show of the metaphor or the best catalyst for wider symbolism. 
Pogasari grows from a baby to a towering kaiju, his growth reflecting the build of collective struggle. He is inspiration, he is rebellion, he is what we need to defeat the oppressors. His appetite is also key, he eats metal. This is an immediate reaction to how the villagers have their metal taken away from them for the war effort. It's a familiar imperialist and militaristic move, we even see it in films like Onibaba. Um, this idea of stockpiling might in Pogasari also shows a fear of collective power from oppressors. Pogasari is that collective power, but the way he eats metal is a reflection of the need for resources, and therefore why the oppressed are starved of the means of rebellion. His hunger for metal is initially very useful, as he eats up the weaponry thrown against them. Again, collective might overpowers, to quote the husband of Frankenstein's Mary Shelley, we are many, they are few. But, much like in Seven Samurai, we learn that we only need militarism in wartime. The farmers turn to the ronin in that classic because they need them for peace, a need for an armed defence. But when the fight is over, you don't want a ronin around, running around, I guess. They feed off war and conflict and eventually will only bring more. Pogasari is the product of war. He is a symbol of violent rebellion, a just and hopeful symbol. But when the rebellion is done, he has to go. Pogasari will keep consuming, will keep eating. War begets war begets war. The cycle has to stop. This allows, through the lens of a giant monster, to make an intelligent point about the needs to rise up and then settle down. The need to only arm in defence and to only fight against injustice. Ultimately, these are two anti-imperialist kaiju films, and through being so, they show the metaphorical power of the genre. But they also show its variety. Pogosari is a defender, a kaiju of hope. Here the monster is what the creature, as we should call it in Frankenstein, could be. Once again, it is made by man, is an extension of them and represents the best in them. The specifics here make it differ for sure, but it's a hopeful extension of mankind's power and what Frankenstein's monster could have been without its creator's hubris. But the fish monster from the host is a beast of despair. It is a kaiju to be feared, yet another analogue to Shelley's monster. This is the unholy creation of man's science, of the science of the privileged, the same scientists who then reject it and let it grow twisted, wrong, and eventually evil. And like in Frankenstein, the privileged managed to avoid so much the damage. Another illustration of how imperialism creates monsters, be they literal or metaphorical, that continue to hurt the underprivileged, those really harmed by unfair systems. But both films today, coincidentally, both popular films in the DPRK, because of their uh, clear anti-American and anti-imperialist stances, uh, have an answer to injustice, oppression and despair. These are films that show that those pushed down can rise up, that the conventional source of power will only let us down, and that we need to take a stand. Not a bad message for a couple of monster movies. So, let's talk about them. Welcome back to Ranking the Monsters. This week we have our friend of the show, our bravest knight, our reviewer of the Green Knight, um, uh, lover of movies, um, enthusiast <laughs> of all things, uh, a kind person, and a friend uh, to all on the staff. Uh, Vaughn, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be joining for these two movies. It's like being an enthusiast of all things. That sounds like <laughs> tiresome. Is that, is, is that a lot? It's a lot of work, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, someone has to be. Um, bring your positive energy to this, <laughs> this cast. Very positive. Two good movies to talk about. Mm, mm. There are definitely two movies here. And um, one is from South Korea, the other's from North Korea. And uh, we thought it was interesting to uh, start an international beef because they've never had any uh, <laughs> trouble together before. 
<laughs> well, nor apart. Um, so nor yeah, um, we've got yeah. I we we wanted to um, look at the host and to get to it um, pretty early on because like it, it is it is a kaiju film that people have seen without maybe even knowing it's a kaiju film. It is very much on the fringe of kaiju. It's always nice to see. Um, that's interesting, I guess, because like now we see Bong Joon Ho as like a like a really kind of like respected and like big time director, but like he was not at this point. Um, especially not outside of the ROK. Um, like this was his big mainstream picture. I mean, you've got um, Barking Dogs Don't Bite before this, which is pretty good. And you've got Memories of Murder, which is my money, his best movie. And then mm-hmm. you've got him going to this um, with um, his go-to guy, Song Kang Ho in it. Um, so this was his like anti-blockbuster blockbuster that kind of like launched him onto the international stage, I would guess. Because I think Memories of Murder was quite hard to find until recently and Barking Dogs especially so. Um, but it's just to look back of it now and being like, oh man, Bong Joon-ho made a kaiju movie. But I think it's actually less surprising because Bong Joon-ho makes weird movies and this is <laughs> one weird movie in his. But Pogasari is um, a different thing. Um, when you say like there is a movie from the DPRK, um, it's like, mm, interesting. How do we even get this? Interestingly, like, um, presumably we did some reading up on this thing because it is a fascinating thing. Um, Should we get the elephant in the room out of the way? Yeah, we can. Um, yeah. So it's very hard to fact check anything that comes out in North Korea. Right? It also adds to that it's very hard to self to um to um, fact check anything that the ROK is saying <laughs> yes. about them as well. I think it is the thing that it's too easy to say like we can't trust them over there. There are very complicated dialogues between let's just say like three major nations here. Yeah. Um, yeah. The US is the third, and there are so many different wants to always present the other country a certain way that knowing what to believe becomes very, very difficult, um, especially when there are defective narratives, especially when they come through other sources, and especially when it's like changing circumstances, especially when you've got like wartime, then wartime ending. So all of this is, you know, take it with the largest amount of salt that you can find. Okay. The main thing to look at there is, okay, our director, Shinseng Uk, is that We'll continue our trend of mispronouncing <laughs> okay. every name. Um, I think Shinseng Uk, but I don't know. Okay, Shinseng Uk, he definitely lived in North Korea for a long stretch. He definitely yeah. went there and made seven movies under their yes. system, which is a very strict um, system that's usually defined by intense control of the messaging. Uh, he was the first director there that was able to shoot in Europe and uh, show uh, North Korea places outside their own, you know, their own region and uh, show something of what the French and the English were doing with their films. So uh, he had a lot more control over his own productions, but allegedly him and his wife were kidnapped by North Korea, right? Like that's their story. This is why I don't want to get into it too much because like there is a big part of like, you know, victim narrative comes out. One wants to very much believe victim narrative. That's very important to listen to victims. But because of the wider social context here and the degree of unknowability as there is with everything from this region, and I mean region in general, not just one part of the region, um, it becomes very, very difficult. Um, but I think actually the, the wider production of this film, I mean, one point I want to note is that there is, there is the want to say that, um, you know, like DPRK cinema is like very much trying to push political messages. And I think that's like, that is very, very true. Um, but I think like any state cinema is, and I think there is that want yeah. to only push that there. Like American Hollywood, um, I mean, that's such a productive statement. Hollywood is always is, pushing, well, it's also pushing anti-American narratives quite often. Yeah, yeah. And, and, Most of Hollywood is anti-American in some way in its messaging, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, but if, if you're making, you know, like state-focused, state-funded pictures to a degree, yeah. you know, you, 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 
give into the whims of the state or you give the state what they want, even if they don't tell you what they want. So again, the unknowability there. Um, did you look up like who was responsible for this movie in terms of crew? Because it's really interesting. Who was it? Okay, so you may have noticed, I mean, I may, maybe I'm being naive here, but did you have the expectation coming into this this was going to be like a janky mess? Um, a little uh, bit. A little bit. I thought it would be um, overbearing in some way. I thought it would... Uh, I know the director had a reputation because I heard that this American Life story, I knew that he was one of mm. the good auteurs that also has a South Korean background. He's not like a, you know, I think he might have been born in North Korea, but I think he he's not like singularly from this one place. I think he might also have some tendencies of South Korean uh, golden age directors. Yeah, I mean, well, so, so again, so the narrative goes of was a South Korean director that was the producers and more were a fan of, so therefore had kidnap slash move slash whatever to um DPRK. so that, that that is the narrative there so interesting that so you do have a lineage of this is a filmmaker making a film um mm. who has knowledge of an outside film system which is in conversation because obviously the dprk is a isolationist nation so therefore is not in conversation with wider cinema whereas rok is um fundamentally though it's still a relatively yeah. like new cinema going nation it doesn't have like the breadth of classics because of again a variety of complex reasons um, imperialism fun times um but this movie um a lot of the cast on it the crew sorry are people from toho are godzilla people um oh interesting which i think you can actually see in it um so if we look at where the godzilla franchise is at this point it's two movies have any of you seen the high sci um reboot um godzilla returns um known in the u.s as a remake of godzilla 985 Absolutely not. Yeah, not. Um, it's it's I, it's a movie I don't like very much at all. Um, it's a very very conservative Godzilla film. It's like the big reboot after the Showa movies got like very very silly, and they bring it back in very very serious, and it feels very imperialistic. It feels kind of silly, um, and Godzilla feels very strange in it. He feels like very like cruel, and it, it, it's not a movie that I like very much. We'll get to it. Um, but the people that made that made this as well um, in terms of the technical crew and what they learned from that, they put into this. Um, interestingly, Paul Gasari himself is Godzilla. Um, this is uh, Kampachiro Satsuma, who was Godzilla in Godzilla 25, um, Godzilla Returns, and was in seven Godzilla movies. So we've actually more than that, really, because he's actually Hedera in Godzilla vs. Hedera, the show of films. He's Gigan in the two films that got Gigan in it. And then he is in Return of Godzilla, he's in Biolante, he's in King Ghidorah, he's in Mothra, he's in Mechagodzilla 2, that's the brain butt one. He's in Space Godzilla and he's in Versus <laughs> Destoroyah. Um, so this is Godzilla um, playing Polgasari. Um, interestingly, um, Satsuma um, speaks really highly of Polgasari. Um, he has very positive things to say about it. And one of the things is he says it's a better suit than the 1985 film. Um, he says it's a much more comfortable thing. He also wrote a book about the production, which would be fascinating, but it's not being translated outside of Korean. So I have no idea what any of it's about. Um, <laughs> so I, he has, is famous for having a very positive take on this film, where there are obviously negative takes elsewhere in terms of it. And it's like contextual baggage. I think it's very interesting. You've got different people that say this is a great production to be a part of. Um, so you've got the Toho crew here who are doing the same photographic tricks as with um, Godzilla um, to make it how it looks which I think you can you can notice that. And um, the cinematography is very much like um, influenced by Shaw Brothers productions in terms of like, like the kinetism of the way it's filmed. Um, you've got these long zoom lenses that most of it is filmed with, which means that the action can like keep going and you can like zoom in as things hit things. So it is quite a kinetic and active film. I think it actually gets lost in the action. We'll talk about that. Um, and kind of the last thing about why the production is interesting is you cannot watch this film in the DPRK anymore. Um, this one was not available. Oh, really? Back. 
so we so we know so we think etc etc again baggage um but it was hugely popular at the time and there are stories um i mean we we know these through like tour guides and stuff so tour guides have have spoken about it have said that they remember like having to stand at the back of a cinema where polgasari was playing um the only reason we have it is because it was a japanese co-production um a japanese company were able to put it out on video um so it, it springs from there um it's a company called raging thunder they speak very cagely about it um they're like someone else at the translation we just put it out there so they kind of own the rights to it but act as if like we just got the rights to it we're not saying we're pro north korea we just have this movie so it's a bit of a, a maelstrom but we have this film now and it's kind of like in the public domain you can watch it on youtube it's, it's a hell of a thing worth watching um so that being the background i'm going to throw it over to either of you and i want you to tell what you think of this fascinating film bon let's go with your thoughts yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, certainly the the background of it is is quite messy and definitely hard to kind of parse out what uh, what all there is to do with that. But I think just as a film on its own, it's actually it was very surprising how good it was. You definitely go into it with certain expectations like, oh, it's a movie from North Korea and probably shouldn't have those expectations because <laughs> it is a movie, you know, on its own. But I was definitely continually surprised by by how strong of a movie it was. I mean, I was surprised by the goddamn first frame of the movie because I <laughs> knew nothing about it, but it was like, I mean, at this point with the podcast, we have like an expectations of kaiju films and kaiju right. films are where like monsters destroy cities. Um, and it opened up and I was like, wait, wait, what? Why are we in medieval Korea? What is going on here? So, right. I mean, I've, which I think is really interesting. I think that's another, like, I, this is sold as, DPRK made a Godzilla movie, and they it is not. It is the Godzilla people with a co-production who are making a very different movie. Um, and the setting is interesting, um, though it means you don't get like big city crashing, but it's not really a movie about that. Calvin, what do you think about it? I was very impressed with how it blended the kaiju with the feudal elements and how it's mm. talking about anti-imperialism in a way I didn't expect and uh, how the... Um, Monster's very cute, which I think we'll get to later, and a uh, very endearing. <laughs> so cute! I love Pogsari so I, much. I haven't seen much or any North Korean films, so I didn't expect to be immediately endeared. But with my first shot, I I thought it would take a little exploring and looking around, seeing a uh, gathering context. Um, mm. Usually, I haven't jumped into a nation cinema and been like, "Yeah, this is this is it." Like a this is the thing that I wanted out of it, and that's why I got out of Pogsari most of all. Uh, yeah, the, the background is messy, but I think most of all my takeaways were more interesting things from like This American Life show, which was like uh, they had a collection of all the uh, films ever made that uh, Kim Jong-il could uh, get a hold of. And uh, they had the South Korean fil- films in like one room and then cordoned off were the uh, small room of North Korean films, but perfectly air conditioned and preserved and dusted yeah. every day. And uh, just that disparity in that uh, holding your own cinema. Um, I guess he, he felt though that uh, people under the socialist system, at least is what's reported and recorded in their tapes with him, uh, had no incentive to create bigger films like uh, these other regions. So uh, mm. uh, kidnapped or not, bringing him in was uh, trying to re-incentivize the filmmaking scene in North Korea to do bigger things. This being the last of his productions, which I imagine also yeah. means this is like the big one. Like this is, this is the culmination of all those films that they made. Um, the other thing was, he said uh, Kim Jong-il was very involved as a producer. Like he'd ask for like fans to like blow things back. They'd bring in a helicopter. Like <laughs> uh, <laughs> they said that they'd want like a shot up in the 
uh, mountains. They'd want to stage for it. They'd send them up in the actual mountains. You know, they, they'd give them uh, twice what they asked for, uh, just a beautiful support system. And that's why he really loved making films there reportedly. I think uh, that that makes sense to me. I mean, yeah, I think I, know, I, I think you're right. Like the the spectacle of the film is actually really impressive, and we're, we're used to actually like kaiju films being like cardboardy and rubbery and really shoddy. And like, admittedly, when Pogsari moves, you can see the way the way his suit wrinkles on his chest, yeah. which is also endearing and hilarious. He also moves really nicely, and like the design of him is really really cool. Um, to like um go back to a, a favorite of um friend of the show, a friend of all of us, um Jack Davenport. Um, the the iconography in this film really interests me because we're so used to just like Judeo Christian in, in, like imagery being used in just genre film because of you know again like cultural hegemony and imperialism and it reminds me of like the boxes boxes omen um a short of his film and why that's so fascinating is it's pulling from such a different range of iconography from such a different culture and the way that polgasari looks is so instantly recognizably kaiju but is so different a looking kaiju than anything else the way he fits in with the setting when he eats up the bell at the end there is this sense of folklore to it which I think has been done very badly in the kaiju films looked at so far. I think folklore is usually used atavistically as that sense of being like, look, old things, bad things, and often through like the lens of racism um, and cultural appropriation. And I feel here it is more of a, I think because it's set um, in the past, it is a much better representation of the past and blending a kaiju to folklore as opposed to a modernity versus um the old ways divide, which I think has been negative, especially in Varen, if I want to talk about it. Um, so I liked that about this quite a lot. Yeah, I think that's what this movie does so well is like all of it feels so refreshing. Like all of it, like it, it takes those kind of kaiju conventions, but it's all of, all of it's in such a different and unique setting, like that that feudal atmosphere and everything mm-hmm. is long along with the um, like you said, like that folklore takes such a different approach than than we've seen so far in other movies. Um, which I think just makes it so interesting to watch the whole time because most of the time you've got, you know, the kind of the traditional kaiju origin of, you know, nuclear disaster or whatever it might be. And this just coming from basically he's just born out of desperation of the people, you know? Yeah. Um, I love the way the monster is born in this, like this idea of like this man who has taken like the, the blacksmith who has taken all the metal away from him, like taking the, what what he can do. The last thing he does is just make this thing out of his passion, which is his little toy. And then like the blood of like his family member is what falls into it. And then that awakens this thing. Though it is a really weird scene where they're just like sleeping in a bed with a kaiju. (laughs) It's really hilarious. So there, there is some kaiju humor here every now and then, like that bit. And I like actually when because what was really interesting about this is we obviously this is not city city smashing because there's no cities to yeah. smash. Um, to as we like to do on here, like reference um, video games from a very specific period. <laughs> um, it reminded me actually in a positive way rather than negative of, of the third Assassin's Creed game, um, which actually was the fifth. Never mind, Assassin's Creed three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was just like we're going to set it in a place without cities anymore. And how do you work around that? And I don't think they really succeeded in that game, but they thought about, like, let's make the places in between cities more interesting. Let's like build into forests and let's have cities developing. I like how like, all right, we can't have a city. Let's have the kaiju small to begin with. Like bigger. That's, that's interesting now. And that very much just like, I'd like that stuff in general, like that kind of like was used well in Ant-Man even of just like little kaiju walking around things, things that should be small looking big. Oh, incredible shrinking around stuff. Love it, love it, love it. And he's so cute, as Kevin said, such a cute little big dog. Sorry, love him. <laughs> Not like, only is he cute, but he also has a viciousness right away. I like mm. that the the plotting is that 
I love that we have virtuous peasants and then we have like these uh, very tyrannical dictators that are like infringing on them. But uh, one of the main plots is like the dictators are stealing like all the, the steel and iron of these peasants. And uh, the what I like about Pogasari is that his diet is almost consistently like he's yeah. eating fucking swords and shit. And he's like, <laughs> so great. Yeah. Like he's going after the very thing that was taken from him. So he's like a reclamation <laughs> of, of what was stolen. I like that his action implies that. And I love what they did with that, which I didn't think they were going to. I think like this, this film cemented itself as very good to me by like the last like five, 10 minutes. Where I was like, I did not think we were going to do that. I thought it was going to be like an entertaining, like, but quite simplistic tale of these people were beaten down. So therefore a monster came and they won and it was glorious. But there was this lovely denouement where like the lady that brought Polgasari to life is just sitting there being like, you just eat metal and you are going to go and ravage and raid until you get metal and you are too big now and like i said in the introduction like it is that idea and i mean this sounds ridiculous say pogs is like seven samurai but i mean seven samurai is a classic for a reason and i think it's too easy to reduce it to just like it's a great action movie like yeah the moral core of seven samurai is about the need for militarism at certain points and about when it should stop and i love that this film got that in as well that idea of being like no this will keep going it will eat bigger things and it's like when does the idea of fighting back lurch into the want to, well, now we can conquer. And this film is talking about how an actual movement of the people does not conquer. Um, it is about justice. It is about reclamation. And that was awesome. Because you're right, Calvin, it was, it was reclaiming. And then it's like, now I'm just going to eat everything in the world. Yeah. Like a katamari. Yeah, it's so good. I, I think I was in much earlier, though. I think like I was... I even almost put a higher rating. I, I need to possibly come back to it because I respected it so much. And I feel like possibly the conversation history around it might've infringed on my rating a little bit and that I might've uh, looked past how much I was truly enjoying it from the start. Like the, the feudal setting connected with me. I, I mm. like, I like the region it's in. I like uh, the monster. I, I love the monster. Yeah, this is one yeah. of my favorite kaijus in, in general. I think he's so cool. I mean, it's it's that lovely blend of he is adorable and I love seeing him smash things. And we do get like a couple of really good smashing scenes that are like, we've talked about how good that one bit in Godzilla Raids again is when he smashes through um, Kyoto Castle. And there is a bit in this that is as good as that, where he's just like trashing through this like massive like temple shrine building that just looks incredible. So you do get your kaiju like, I'm going to break through something. Then you get, it's much more after, I mean, we all actually, I looked at this, we, so we've all like posted reviews of this on Letterboxd, um, you know, and we, we all have it the same rating, yet we're being very positive about it. Let's let's throw to Vaughan. Why is this a three-star film to you? Let's be reductive. Why is this a three-star film to you since we've been so glowing about it? <laughs> that's actually, that's a good question. I, I mean, I do think that it is, like, it's so ambitious with what it wants to do. And I think ultimately it does succeed with what it wants to do in that message. But I think it does kind of stumble at points and it's a bit messy, especially yeah. in the middle um, yeah. where it's just kind of like this mess of sort of feudal warfare and they're the um the imperialists are sort of trying to like capture him and it's just kind of it's just kind of messy and it's certainly it's always endearing because Polgasari is such a great monster but it definitely loses itself a little bit there in that middle section agreed with the middle it gets a little bit baggy in the center but uh, I think the beginning and ending very very strong for Polgasari but, you know, as, as, as I want to say, and I've made this refrain before and I'll keep saying it, you know, if you were born in 1985, I think it's OK to be a bit baggy in the middle in the year 2021. So, you know, I think that's fine. Um, but I mean, I, I, I agree with both of you. I think just for me, like it is a really good move to talk about. And I think when when talking about it, it sounds better than it is, um, because Probably. though yeah. it is well, though it is well made. 
some of it is just like it seems a bit rushed and like yeah. the actually most of the scene is like big battle set pieces and they're so hard to read like they do that like zooming in the action and you're like i cannot read what is going on here so it's a lot of just like very samey just like conflict sequences i feel there's just things around the execution and it's a problem like because like there are scrappier films that i give probably more credit to because they've got some scrappy energy this is a victim of actually feeling much more of a professional production and then brings on it more professional kind of like expectation being like all right if it looks this good and has this scale to it, why is that not as good? As opposed it's, to like Gamera, where I was like, that's hilarious. It has right. just enough finesse that you might mm. expect it to be uh, consistently uh, designed and, and moving yeah. toward a direction. And sometimes it's not. Uh, that's that's fine for a Pogosari. Have we even really discussed what makes the monster different than Godzilla? I mean, we've, we've discussed the similarity of the monster to Godzilla, but... Uh, he has the horns and, and the mm. uh, spiky teeth. He doesn't have like the razors on his back, but it looks like he has like a big like chest plate, like a feudal. He looks like a feudal creature in a way. Like he's designed ornately. Yeah. Like he, yeah. he belongs to this region and this time uh, very specifically, which I enjoy about him. I mean, what I love about him actually is that he doesn't feel like a an animal in the way that Godzilla yeah. does. And they lean into that way more into like Shin Godzilla. I think is the best example of Godzilla is an animal. Like he feels like, because he has his birth as an animated little figurine and he always has that limited range of movement. Of He feels like a figurine brought to life. And I think that grounds it as that he is a weapon. And there is a very much an Iron Giant thing here, but Iron Giant, if it was... We love the Iron Giant as a weapon. It's like an anti-Iron Giant for a very different reason. So I do like that he feels like an object the whole time, that he has an unreality yeah. that, again, Kevin, you're right, that links him back to a folkloric image. He feels like he is like a tapestry of the past they've drawn that has come to life, a thing that should not be and that therefore has to be dispatched at the end. So yeah, I, I really like the look of him, that he is not animalistic, uh, but he's not like the um, robotic kaijus that we yeah. saw in the Mysterians, we're going to see later. Interestingly, the, the, the actor of this is Gaigam, who is a robotic kaiju. So it's fun to see that connection there. I did, I was thinking about near the end, it definitely reminded me of your discussion on the last episode. It actually reminded me a bit of Rodan because mm. Polgasari is so well like designed as a kaiju and he's he's made to be sympathetic so that by the end when they have to you know, sort of take him down and they realize that he has just consumed so much and that they yeah. have to then kind of kill him in a way and he's and you lose him and you're you, you get sad because you've been he's been helping these people the whole time and it reminded me of Rodan in the way that Rodan tries to kind of throw in that sympathetic death for him at the end but it's no, totally unearned monster, right no. <laughs> like he's just been terrorizing everyone the whole time and then at the end they try to make you sad and it's like well that doesn't really that doesn't really blend, <laughs> yeah. blend, blend Rodan very well, just but... kills the shit out of everybody <laughs> yeah like no not Rodan <laughs> but yeah I felt like I felt like this movie kind of tried that but it was earned in a lot in a lot mm. better ways yeah it's, it's a really good point i agree like the, the ending i'm like i get that polgasari has to go interesting right. actually i've got i've got to to segue over to the host just very briefly and i think then we'll, we'll we'll go to it but there's actually i was doing some research about this and about um the way that director bong talks about the monster and the way that others do so um uh, director bong is good friends of a critic called um tony rains who they've spoken a lot about i think spoken a lot publicly about the film and um they debate the morality of the creature in the host because in the host there is no humanizing of the creature it is just there it just attacks things and eventually it kidnaps and it kills um you know making them make movies probably um so the idea from bong joon ho is he he thinks that the monster just wants to survive so therefore he's very sympathetic towards it 
Um, and the quote from Reigns is, sometimes you can't let things survive. Um, so there's this sense of what the director wants us to think at the end, whereas like, there is a sadness to the dispatching of the monster, as opposed to what people think about it. And I think ultimately, I mean, Tony Reigns is right. Like the monster in the host is a monster and yeah. we are happy when it's gone. But what I love about that, it reminds me of what Calvin said about Guillermo del Toro of a good monster filmmaker has to love their monster even if the audience doesn't and doesn't understand it. And it, I love that Bong Joon-ho likes the monster and feels sad about the monster because even that's not in the film, it needs to be from the person that's making it because it, it adds the reality to it and it gives it the stakes in the film, which I think Rodan does not have. Rodan is just there to be like, hello, I'm a, a weird eagle thing. And I think mm. the people making Polgasari love the hell out of Polgasari. Polgasari is cool as hell. The guy loves being Polgasari. Everyone loves Polgasari. Everyone loves Fish Monster. They call it Steve Buscemi. It's just great. My <laughs> <laughs> uh, last note on Polgasari really is that I like that it can't quite be sequelized. I like that it's so self-contained. Mm. It seems like it might be North Korea's only kaiju movie that they, they'll they ever make. So uh, to me, it, it feels very contained and, and specific. And uh, I'm glad there's this one, at least. Yeah, it, it makes me again more gutted that I still cannot find, nor can anyone. So I don't know why I would find it. The um, <laughs> Filipino cut of um, Godzilla, the original Godzilla, like, the, mm. like all these different like cinematic nations having going to go at the kaiju genre is so fascinating to me to take. I mean, it's again, it's the same way of like, I mean, Kevin, you are Mr. Western man, but the same way where <laughs> of, other countries that don't have like the legacy of the West have their riff on it. I like a very specific cultural film being made from a different lens, what that brings to it. And I, I can't wait to find more of these. Yeah, uh, I think it's just worth it. I think it's worth it to consider the other perspectives on kaiju and especially one that's culturally specific and might be their only one. I, I don't know if you know if there's others, but... Uh, I mean, I do not. I do not know. I, I, I couldn't find any. But, uh, no. Vaughn, um, do you have any last thoughts on uh, Uh No, I liked it a lot. Very good movie that surprised me. It rules. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> What's a what's a cowboy saying? Uh, saddle on up as we uh, ride into the host. Uh, <laughs> saddle up your fish monsters. Welcome to the host. Bring your can of beans. Uh, uh, so we all watched the 2011 Stephanie Mayer movie, The Host, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, cool. Let's talk about that. Oh, crap, I haven't actually seen it. I can't continue to spit. <laughs> I'll get Emma in. She's seen it. <laughs> So, yeah, The Host is a 2013 uh, film directed by Andrew Nichol, um, starring Saoirse Ronan. Um, what do you think of it? I just love that you had to look that up, the director and everything, just for this bit. Oh, wait, no, sorry. Host is a film by Rob Savage um, from 2020. It's a supernatural horror movie like based on a Zoom screen. I know that Calvin saw it. He wrote about it. Um, interestingly, if you type in host film into Bing, not Google, um, the host film Wikipedia page has the picture for the poster of the Stephanie Meyer, the host, but it's about the 2020 movie host. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> They're very different. From They're what I can tell. Different. Um, I don't know. I mean, Calvin, you saw host. Did you like it? Yeah, uh the 2021. It's yeah. uh it's going about the same as the Zoom call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cutting. Um yeah, no, um the host, um, which is a film that I think a lot of people have seen um because people got that um Bong Joon Ho fever after Parasite um broke kind of like the law in being a really good movie that won best picture which i thought was illegal um but they showed that it could be done um <laughs> do you think that's a good thing do you think uh, people who watched parasite will go back and find a lot in his other stuff or do you think it would have been better like us like i think some of us watched like memories of murder and mother my beloved mother from oh, mother so good uh, um, awesome yeah 
I mean, do you uh, think it's better to have gone the right way or, I mean, chronologically than do it, see Parasite and be like, okay, I'm expecting this big one that has international crossover. Um, I think the host has that. But Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a good point. I think that um, Parasite is a little more atypical than people give it credit to because I think now it's such an established, you know, it won awards movie. Like, yeah. There's still a strangeness to it that I think is in all of his films is a little quirky thing, just happened to get awards. Um, I just will forever. I mean, I, I love Parasite because I think it's a phenomenal film. I don't care what people say. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, but also because, like, I have lots of friends now who did not watch international cinema um, and now will because they saw Parasite at the cinema and whether I took them or themselves and they loved it and are finding wider film. So it's it's amazing to me that it took that movie for that. But yeah. hey, if if they now watch the host, um, actually, my partner Emma watched the host in the cinema, not knowing what the hell it was. No, um, really, and was very surprised <laughs> about what the hell that movie was. The title so doesn't the title doesn't really say that it's a South Korean monster movie in the way no. that um, you couldn't have predicted that. Um, Specifically, I think that's probably to its advantage and Parasite's advantage. There are a lot of barking dogs and barking dogs don't bite. Um, but, <laughs> that you know, one I, is I, very accurate, yeah. Yeah, that one, well, yeah. There's, there's a reason they don't bite. I didn't want to spoil that movie. I haven't seen it. There's a reason the dogs don't bite. It's because someone keeps killing them. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good movie. Um, didn't like so, yeah, that, that movie. Oh, that movie's good. Um, I mean, he only makes good films. I mean, even like his... Um, Oh, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I was going to uh, say Calvin yeah. might disagree with that point. <laughs> oh, rules. Shut up. Um, I need to watch Archer. I'm not, not saying this came out, but it was a fun ass movie. Um, I liked his. Um, oh God, he, the film about a virus that he made, the short, which I can't remember. It's not called Pandemics or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, Influenza. Uh, Influenza. Yeah. Influenza. That's really cool. Um, which actually just I. Bodhi has a really interesting director. Um, it's like the coldest take in the world. And like, but the host is a really good example of him as a really interesting director. Um, a film we've all seen before, I presume. Yeah. 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 Um, I think a couple of times maybe. Um, so um, I'll give you some like background on it um, because I think the stuff about here is interesting. So this is this is like they threw a big budget at Bong Joon-ho to make a big movie, um, but it's still a relatively small budget for what is a big movie. The budget does not make up to it. Um, the creature design people is, um, um, so the creature is designed by a guy called Chin Wei Chen, but the modeling, the um, three modeling is done by a New Zealand based company called Weta Workshop, who you know from films such as Brain Dead, The Frighteners, The Lord of the Rings, um, <laughs> Hellboy, I Robot, um, King Kong, Lovely Bones, District 9, Tintin, Resident of the Apes, Mad Max Fury Road, Blade Runner, 2049, Thor Ragnarok, etc, etc. So this, these are people that are the go-to, and I think you can see that. The monster looks awesome. Um, the animatronics are from a guy called John Cox, who won an award for um, his work on a certain movie that has a superior sequel. Anyone want to guess what this animatronics dude won his award for? Twilight, uh, part one. <laughs> No, it's the guy who made Babe. It's the Babe. He made okay. the, the I was almost the there. Babe. Um, and yeah, the CGI stuff is done by a company called The Orphanage, who if you look at, make, if I looked at that list of movies, I'm like, hmm, that's a bunch of famous movies with okay CG. Um, so yeah. Um, so the, the monster is like weird fish monster, um, is yeah. inspired by a um, quote, deformed um, end quote um, fish they found in the Han River with an S-shaped spine and it was aimed to look like a mutated fish. It is smaller than most kaiju, which is interesting. Um, and we see it more in the daylight than most kaiju. We're used to kaijus being like hidden away. This one is just like straight out there in the first 20 minutes. Um, Bong Joon-ho specifically said he did not like 
hiding creatures away. He wanted to just get the creature out there. He was bored of that. Um, he also designed the way that it moves um, so he could direct it as if it was an actor. So its movements are dictated um, by director Bong there, which I think is really interesting. Um, and interestingly, to link back to our previous comments about the genre, much like how Ishida Honda, when he was first making Godzilla, was told, why are you making Godzilla? Um, his close friends, Bong Joon-ho, told him, why are you wasting your talents on a monster movie? Why are you making a monster movie? Which I think is fascinating that even in 2006, you have that stigma around what a weird genre to be making. Um, but I mean, hopefully he proved them wrong. I think it's an awesome movie. Um, I'll pass it to Calvin. Calvin, tell me a bit about the host. The right, the host, 2006. <laughs> the host I had watched originally and maybe the second time without any kaiju content. The host I saw without really knowing what I was going into with the genre, I think part of the journey for me, I think a part of the reason we're doing this podcast is uh, so I could uh, go with you and see a lot of these films that I uh, I don't have context for. And I could watch them in a way that, uh, like I say, you you might want to go chronologically with things and, and kind of explore the uh, avenues of how these mm. were created. For me, I, I feel that Bong Joon-ho's uh, means of creation, how he is um, unambiguous in his messaging, how it could be universal to an audience, but also fit within a, a very uh, concise realm. I mean, Calvin, you say it's unambiguous, and I agree with you, but um, let's say anecdotally, say if you put this film in a list of anti-imperialist cinema, people will say, what's the host doing on this list? Apparently for a lot of people. You wouldn't do that, though. Nobody would. Nobody would. <laughs> yeah, apparently a lot. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't imagine it going over their heads. I couldn't imagine not finding the anti-imperialists. Like, the Americans are right there at the beginning and showing what their part in like coming into territories and then uh, flooding them with their toxins right. are like I, I love the opening scene actually because it yeah, always the opening scene is like daring you to say that's ridiculous like it's so <laughs> on the nose it seems so false and I think it's made to be that way so you go wait a minute I'm gonna go home and bing this and be like wait what this actually happened and I love that it seems so artificial like this like it and is a true stranger true fiction yeah. moment you're like oh no that did actually happen and you amplified that so you'd go that seems mm, that seems off oh wait no that's a real thing so Bong Joon-ho as an activist filmmaker to, to a degree has has a fun bit there about how he foregrounds the actual like reality behind things yeah I like that uh it's something based on reality that pouring the toxins mm. not the toxins creating the monster um but I like that the monster is created I like how we see the yes you rarely see the creation of the monsters I think these two mm. films from this week do a good job of foregrounding how they actually come about to live and how they're birthed into that like godzilla just kind of comes up sometimes right like it's like hey it's just there yeah <laughs> i mean sometimes they're just fucking dropping from the sky or or coming out of the water i like that we get to see the birth and the uh, mm. a full story a full arc for the monster here yeah yeah i love his 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 kind of birth and creation a lot i think that whole opening sequence is done so well as it kind of moves from like that laboratory and then just immediately it goes into the river where they find that uh, those two fishermen find the the, the tiny version of it and then it slowly grows bigger until we move into our main characters i think that's just such a perfect intro and then just yeah i love that immediately there's no wasting time but it, you just immediately get the big monster there oh yeah just like just straight out there that they're concentrating on watching some olympics or something some like <laughs> interdisciplinary thing and there's just like just a monster just trash and stuff well even um, better uh, well not quite yet because even better it's like hanging down like in a particular way that when we see like the dispersal mm. of the at the end it's hanging in the same position and we see that like it's both of them are like america's effects on this nation that they've invaded. right uh we see like footage actually from the iraq war like uh news clips that are taken from 
reality. I read about that because I agree with you. Like it, it definitely very much like pronounces like the the anti-imperialist message of it of being like yeah. you know take that America. But um, the stated intent was that it was supposed to parallel the um, fake pandemic response in it, and it was supposed to be mm. a way of because it's specifically about um, the Iraq War. Yeah. It's supposed to like the audience would be watching it on six and go, oh yeah, there are no weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> right. It's supposed to be a reminder about just like just governments lie to you. Um, and they are going to try and trick you to push whatever there is the thing they want to do, which is right. a thing that we're going to talk about because there's the way it's handled in the movie is good, yeah. um, but that is a slippery slope. Um, Especially but, right now, I was a little bit nervous to get into like yeah. a virus conversation because it really is supposed to be a parallel for the weapons of mass destruction. Yes, not, I, I could see people watching this movie and being like, "Oh yeah, the government would lie to us about a virus." I mean, you know, it's it's like yeah, the Americans would create something. Uh, they would do something with their scientists. Like that's actual shit. That's like in my news. Yeah, feed right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Right. That's in the hopes. Like that's in, embedded into the sci-fi movie. That's supposed to be a parallel, but in reality, that's like a, a really stark difference that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I, I agree. I do think kind of the distinction is partially that it's America specifically lying to Korea mm-hmm. and trying to trying to defend themselves you know because yeah. they know that they're the cause of all of this and that's just kind of the through line of the whole movie is is america trying to deceive korea and, and just causing all of these problems in 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 defense of themselves which which i think actually goes back to if we're going to view it as a real political message i think the thing to remind conspiracy theorists is there are enough <laughs> actual things going on there's enough actual just like seditious shit in the world you need to make other stuff up and i think yeah. the host is a great example of that like this is the kind of thing this idea of like it, it's not about making a pandemic it's about um the way that countries try to bury their sins and their past and that's a very prescient theme i mean we're seeing that a lot in the uk at the moment and a lot in um, the us at the moment about some people wanting to talk about what countries don't actually seen this in canada um with certain things being found there's a wider conversation there about things in the past and wanting to show away from it and inventing things to get around that i think the host deals with that very very well of they will always find a way to push the conversation to create fear to create control the the regimes that find their strength through um, oppression will always find it through trying to control people and trying to evoke fear um which rules uh i think i have the if i have problems with that the same problems i have with pulgasari too which is the baggy middle which we can't quite excuse for 1985 when it's you know 2005 here um 2006 it's i i don't love the stuff in the sores i like the stuff in the very opening i love the ending i'm pretty indifferent to the middle of the movie i love the middle of the movie uh, which is what born thinks but i just just I, I actually read our good friend David's review of it and it was it was exactly what I thought David would think of this film and that's no slight to David at all I love the way that he approaches film yeah. but we approach it differently in the sense of and as I said in the introduction I feel this film is very much planned to go against some of your expectations of what like the genre film should be and the way that it constructs characters and the way that you're like is that a joke is that not a joke is so cool to me and for me the very best scene in the film is when they're in the sewer and the dad slash granddad is just telling that long story about why they should take Kangdu seriously. That's the part and of the sword that I like. The story. Oh, yeah. That 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 is so the movie though. Like that, that like just edge of tragedy comic about it of being like. And there's that like foil yeah. mark of being like he was smart because people asked him for directions. Like what does that even mean? <laughs> what a bizarre <laughs> thing to say. What was and the David take on on that? 
Um, I, I, he was just talking in general about like how like the characters kind of like overwhelm the film, and I yeah. can see that take. But I think for me, it's like this is a character film. This is about these characters and how mm. they intersect with each other. And the kaiju is just chucked in at the beginning, so these characters can intersect. And I actually love that it's a each character does a thing at the beginning that comes mm. back at the end. I think there's a real poetry to that, and I especially like that you've got at the beginning like Gangdu being just like very pathetic and like stealing food from people and then you have that narrative later about him being underfed as a child and that right. being like one of the more subtle ways of doing that and that it's again in this wider narrative and why it works for me is the entire film is about a thing happened in the past and it happens more in the present mm. and that that happens in character arcs as well as the overall arc of the film i think is very intelligent and i get seeing that as being like a, it's very like functional filmmaking but for me it's very much the film being constantly in conversation with itself yeah that's why i feel about the bong thing that's what i'm saying about maybe he doesn't um i think i feel i feel like people could position him if they were going to criticize him as being overburdening in his filmmaking mm. uh, i don't think that's it at all i agree it's intelligent I mean, I think it's intelligent film design that's very connected and cohesive as like a whole. I, I don't feel that way. That's a difficulty for me. I mean, I do love the whole movie. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to to note, because you're talking about the characterization, because it very much is a character-driven film. Um, but I just, I love the way that all of the main characters are very much tied to their cultural identity. And it totally blends with its with its ideas of pushing back that American influence. Um, you know, you've got the the main characters, the um, Gangdu and his granddad or his dad, sorry. Um, and they own that just that little, you know, snack shop on the river. And the, the his sister is a Korean archer in the Olympics, which is, you know, she's literally representing their country. Um, and the brother, you know, was a political activist. And I just love the way that it all kind of ties together. And then the way that, that builds the, the into the final. The brother also seems very corporate, though, as well, of like to very right. much, like, interrogate the past of like, this was a nation of activism. And now maybe is like a, a, a nation's becoming, as is most nations, are much more apathetic about it. I love that a lot as well. Right. Yeah, it all builds so perfectly because then it all kind of ties together, like you said, where it's all kind of showed in the beginning and that it all comes back, you know, at the end and they all kind of come together for that final battle which I just, I love that so much. It's, I, I think with, with Bong Joon-ho films, it's like there is inherent goofiness to the way that he constructs worlds and characters. And for some people, that is just not going to hit because like it is off kilter. It is strange, it is exaggerated. I yeah. just find it hilarious. And I find it hilarious in the ways where I'm like, if I'm laughing at it, that is a joke and it's fine that it can be a joke and not a joke at the same time and i like the humor of it but there are also bits in the film that are generally intense and kind of creepy and kind of scary when that like monster like baths up a skull onto a young girl yeah that's horrific i like the monsters specifically i like the sliminess i like how it moves mm. kind of like the classic ones would in a suit but it's very um enhanced by modern technologies too i mean it it, it pays off very well in a way that uh, most that i think are whether animatronic or digital mm. today, I don't think they have that same like feeling, that visceral feeling until Shin Godzilla from what I've seen. Yeah, there's yeah. like an, an authenticity to it that really lends itself. Like even though that the CGI is a little bit dated, it still holds yeah. up yeah. because of it's just how well it's crafted. Though, man. Like, like yeah. what else was coming out? Is that like right. when Transformers was coming out? Like this is... <laughs> it's, it's another uh, example of I don't have to believe it. I want to believe it and I'm going to right. because I, I've bought in on the Kaiju stuff. I, I'm there for it anyway. 
I generally think the CG looks pretty good. I, I, yeah. I know that's like easy to say, like, but I, I saw someone like post a GIF of like Thanos from like Infinity War over there. I'm like, that looks bad. And I think there is like stuff of like modern CG in huge movies that I think because they lack the physicality and they go out of the way to make this thing physical. And because it's grounded in reality, it does look fishy. It does look mutated. It does look yeah. strange. And because it's that mix of animatronics, that mix of a bit of CG. And because it's always in motion as well, this thing is just moving or flopping <laughs> around. I think they, they know how to distract the eye to convince you more also the, the splashes that it makes are not cg they're just like chucking metal barrels in to get that thing so like it has a physical <laughs> impact on the world and that really helps yeah i i think the most the biggest payoff for me is when we like get inside the creature and he's like pulling the girl out like from the Ugh. sliminess of like it's oh yeah like all the scaliness of it and you feel the slime and you feel the texture in a way that i never do with like godzilla movies yet um mm. So uh, very, there is some of that to come, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. I like digging inside, like the corpse of the body, really sells Ugh. it for me. I love what, like he's drinking the gasoline. I love seeing like inside his mouth, <laughs> uh, a lot of detail. Like it doesn't matter if it's like realistic CG that will age mm. particularly well, right. as long as it's a good design of CG. I, I, I agree. And I think for me, though, I think just Song Kang Ho's movie is just incredible. And I think he's yeah. such a fascinating character. So As I said before, the way that he is so purposely atypical, the way that they foil him at the beginning of a more typical figure, the way that he has a redemptive arc, but he's still kind of pathetic. The way that speech about him is still a joke about him, but is also yeah. nice about him. <laughs> like, he, he is just such a not film character in the way that he's kind of like uninteresting, in the way that he's just kind of strange, that he will actually, it does that long goodbye thing of like, rather than saving a cat it's like my cat is missing like rather than saving his daughter i grabbed the wrong girl and yeah. then my daughter is gone but there's just something endearing about this like just it's such a great everyman um, and it's nice to see an everyman like this as well that is not just like the very homogenous everyman that like hollywood generally pushes as a this is what people are i mean i haven't seen this character in south korean films before definitely uh the the few that i've been watching and that we've been focusing on from our friends at this really does feel atypical and more like a an Americanized character in some ways, uh, representation. It's 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 such a cool perspective to have it from, and I think like as we found with these these podcasts, is it's what perspective you use to frame the kaiju from is is, is what makes it really really interesting. It's yeah. how do you humanize it, and I think you said at the beginning, Captain, this is like the first kaiju we've seen where I genuinely care about the human characters in their story. And it's a yeah, really good so human film with a monster in it. But I feel the monster is additive to that. Like the monster is mm -hmm. a great catalyst for the humans being great and they wouldn't be great without the monster being there. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that the scale lends itself to that. Like I love the, the scale of the monster in this movie. I, I like that it's not so huge because it definitely adds to that human element. Like you said, like, especially with that interaction, you know, when it's like swallowing people, like it's so personal and close up, like it definitely adds to the human nature of the film. Yeah. If, feels more like the evolution of Jaws than it does Godzilla, really. It right. feels more like monster movie in, in that kind of sense, though it obviously has the, the design of a kaiju. And, and you're right, like it being more moderately sized means that it's believable that a ragtag bunch can take it down, which you do not see in Godzilla movies. It's always just like, we got the UN in. And we've talked a lot about the ethics about getting the UN in. You don't have that here. Yeah. Um, I, I like that a lot. I feel like the monster could be pretty easily defeated once we learn that it's uh, not resistant to fire and uh, does react to gunshots. I feel like a, a military a deployment against it would be very effective very easily. Um, and they don't even try it, which is interesting. Which I love that, though, is that sense of being like, there's a sense of the film of like, they could deal with this thing. They, they just don't easily. want to deal with yeah. the thing. Because like, once you deal with problem. it, 
It's like if you if you if you call the military in, that's suddenly an incident. You have to talk about it. Like it's it's I like a move where what doesn't happen, you think oh, it's where that doesn't happen. Oh, that's why it didn't happen. That's really interesting. And right. I feel the film has a lot of that of being like, why don't they do that? Oh, that's why I didn't do that. The film outside the film is as interesting as the film inside of the film. Um, with that, uh, let's uh, take another small break. Get to ranking the monsters. Uh, mm. And Vaughn, you want to stick with us and comment at yeah. the end here? Uh, yeah, I'll stick around for the ranking. I'm just keeping that in. (laughs) (laughs) We're still here with Vaughn and I'm here with Steven, but uh, we're going to uh, try to mute Vaughn for a moment so we can get through our our ranking, then we'll bring him back in to discuss. But we we would narrate uh, the way that he looks and if he smiles or if he grimaces. (laughs) Let me read it out real quick, then then we'll play some. Number one, Godzilla. Two, The Extra Matter Space. Three, Gamera. Four, Pacific Rim. Five, Rodan. Uh, six, Cloverfield. Seven, Godzilla Raids Again. Uh, eight, The Mysterians. Nine, Godzilla. Godzilla. Which Godzilla was this? Uh, Godzilla. Okay, and uh, ten, Varan. Eleven was uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters! Exclamation point. Yeah. Um, all right, so the host, top half or bottom half? Top half, obviously. It's mm. June Ho. Do you think I'll relegate him to the to the bottom of any list? I, I... Oh, yeah, no, so never. I think the conversation then goes, all right, so the host is not as good as Godzilla. Um but in it's any better, way. It's better than Pogasari, right? I I think we all agree that the host is more than that. Let's talk about the host. Let's get the host uh, done first. Let's okay. get Pogasari this later. Let's get the host done first. Because I've fine, fine. We have you have there. a strategy, obviously, yeah. with, with your um, delay at the host, which I'm very uncomfortable with. And let's, I'm let's, get the, let's get the host on here. I think the, okay. let's, the Bong Joon-ho kaiju is better than the Guillermo del Toro kaiju. It, yeah, the kaiju is more relevant, right? The kaiju yeah. makes more sense. It's more important. Um, it's a better movie. Yeah. It's also better than the X from Outer Space, unfortunately. I mean, as, as a film, yes. yes. However, as a good, fun kaiju romp, I don't know. Um mm. But I mean that's difficult. I I guess that's a conversation to have. X from outer space, uh, Gamera, uh, somewhere between there. The host. Yeah, I I would put it above Gamera and below the X from outer space personally. Not above Godzilla. Uh, no. Nineteen fifty four. Yeah. No. Are you sure? I want to put it at three. I still think the X from outer space is just such a ludicrously fun kaiju film. Um, I mean, that gives me one, on... one out of a kaiju film. Based on Kaiju alone, I might put it behind Gamera, but... Okay, I could... Mm, yeah. Is Let's that crazy? I, but we have other Gameras coming that I have yeah, to keep uh, in mind. Yeah. Okay. And you say there's better Gameras with more Kaiju oh, yeah. in them. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, Vaughn's nodding... There's one uh, where he's a communist. ...quickly, and Vaughn looks like he really needs us to make that happen, so... Yeah, all right, so we're putting the host at number three. Are we then put the X from outer space? Uh, give me a defense of why that kaiju is so much better than the host. Oh, just the way he moves and just moves, just, just the way he looks, the way he moves around, how joyous that film made me. Just like, <laughs> I don't know, that film is just everything that I want out of just like big rubbery kaiju mon- nonsense. That I, if you say to me, I'm not a kaiju film, like, watch that one. If I, I was to say, like, oh, the host has got some like kaiju elements, it's actually more of like a, a really interesting drama about like characters. I want to watch the like the guy smashing for okay. a city. So, yeah, I guess the point of the host is that the characters are richer than the kaiju for mm. me. I like the characters. I like the movie maybe more than I like the kaiju. I don't think of the kaiju when I think of the movie. I think yeah. of the actors in the movie. I mean, the kaiju doesn't have a name. I mean, they call yeah. it Steve Buscemi because they think he's like Steve Buscemi in Fargo. I don't know well, what that means, but that's what he says. Now that you say that, I think we should move it up. 
Uh, no, I think Steve Buscemi should become like we should put that on like our podcast art. I mean, we'll get him into the podcast. Obviously, okay. we'll, we'll we'll get him on as a guest. Uh, he's you know he's within our reach. I think. I think we um, could just rank him. Also, I think we could be <laughs> just, considered... we rank humans now. Yeah. It's a slippery slope. Um, <laughs> Pogasari. Um, um, Pogasari is hard. Uh, I I have a hard time with Pogasari. What would you say? We should look again. Bottom or top half of the list? I think top half. I think it's it, it is joyful and glorious. The other thing I need to say about the host, really, we have Cloverfield at six. Uh, the host came before Cloverfield and does all the things Cloverfield does. Oh yeah, the Cloverfield is at seven now. If we yeah. put the host in, right? Yeah, so. yeah. P- push, push Cloverfield down. Then um, Pogasari is also better than Cloverfield, right? So it, it goes yeah. into the top half. It's better than Cloverfield. I think Pogasari is better than Rodan. Yeah, I think, uh, and I think Vaughn really convinced me on that with his like I speech agree. about how it, it gets the end bit. Um, Our guests don't time. necessarily come into the rankings, but they can influence us very much. He, exactly, he, he, he increased my understanding of the film. Um, I would take Pogasari over Pacific Rim any day. Really? I, 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 in every way, I think it's a better movie. I think it's a better kaiju film. I think its politics are better. Um, yeah. It treats women better. Um, it's. Uh, well, what I'll do, I won't give you it over Gamera though, because because I'm still in love with the Gamera and okay, uh, no I, children I, would ever draw Pulgasari, is what I'm saying. Yeah, because they're not allowed to because of yeah. American hegemony. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. Are you? Fine I'm with happy that? enough with Pulgasari going in uh, number five. Okay, so uh, final ranking will be Godzilla for one. Two, yeah. the extra matter space. Uh, three will be the host. Woo. Then we have Four, Gamera. The giant monster. And then where are we at after that? Gamera. Five, Pogasari. Six, Pacific Rim. Seven, Rodan. Eight, Cloverfield. Nine, Godzilla Raids again. Ten, the Mysterians. Eleven, Godzilla. Twelve, Varan. And thirteen, Godzilla. King of the monsters. Exclamation point. All right, we could bring uh, Vaughn back in, I think, uh, and deliberate uh, discuss our deliberations here. So, uh, post match analysis, please, Vaughn. Well, now I feel like I really need to watch the X from Outer Space. Film rules. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not so sure good. what it will take. I mean, I don't know. I guess I thought maybe Bong Joon Ho could have possibly replaced this director for Steven. I don't know what kind of director possibly it will take to do that anymore. I'm a little concerned. It's like one of the like the greatest figures of world cinema makes a kaiju. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's not as good as this kind of trash movie. I mean, you've taken this film from Kazooie Nihon Matsu. I mean, you're saying that's better than the Bong Joon Ho. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah. Which I think could like win like special effects awards. I think it's a, a great looking kaiju. I mean, the X, I doubt, could win anything like in any competition. I, well, my heart. And I think that's what matters. <laughs> uh, for the sake of this podcast, that is what matters, I would say. Yeah, I I get that, but uh, I'm just uh, I'm very surprised with what this podcast has become. <laughs> 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 um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, Vaughn, do, do you do you agree with our ranking? Are you happy about it? I mean, again, now I just have to watch the X from Outer Space. You do, I you do. do. I do understand what you're saying about the host being less of a kaiju movie since it's much more character driven. So I can buy that. I would Good. personally put Pacific Rim over Pulgasari. But uh, that is also... uh, a conversation for no, no. <laughs> I would too, but uh... oh, what? That, that's just fundamentally wrong. And I actually generally think Pulgasari is a better movie than Pacific Rim. 
again I would, I would probably agree ultimately but pacific rim is very very near and dear to me personally yeah, so it, it's good um it's it's well it's the thing we sorry. the thing we keep coming back to is that pacific rim is a mech movie more than it's a kaiju movie yeah. like the mechs yeah of that's it all are, the kaijus kind of just come out of the sea and are defeated yeah, and go back right in, you know i don't care for that yeah um, uh, that's the thing so that'll do it for another episode um it is plugs time um so the three of us if you you want to follow us and get our opinions. Now, I want to say, Vaughn, that you're Zebra on Letterboxd, but your username is different, isn't it? So they, they won't find you if they type in Zebra. How will they find you? Uh, yes, it is Zero Zebra, spelled X-E-R-O Zebra. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> to just confuse everybody. Well, um, you know. And we can also find you on uh, thetwingeeks.com because as when this is up, your review of The Green Knight will be up, I believe, Calvin. Is that correct? The next day. Uh, yes. We'll have this, then the following day we'll have The Green Knight. There you go. So you would be listening to Vaughn and being like, man, this guy's got great opinions on <laughs> North Korean kaiju film. I wonder what he thinks of the Green Knight. Well, the next yes. day you can find Please out. Please do return you. for the Green Knight review. Yeah. The um, following week, Stephen and I are really killing it at Fantasia Festival, which is a Montreal festival. that. We're yeah, I watched virtually. a kaiju film at Fantasia Film Festival. I watched <laughs> yeah. one. Um, which, That's exciting. Yeah, uh, a review to come. So, I, I mean, I am actually, when this when this posts, it will be outside of embargo, but I don't want to spoil my review of it. So, you know, yeah. go to the site for a review of, oh my God, the 12 day tale of the monster that died in eight is, <laughs> I think, wow. what it's called. <laughs> I'm if glad you're right. I'm it. very proud of myself. Um, interesting film. I can legally say an interesting film. And I'll be reviewing this uh, Groundhog Day one-shot film, which was really interesting to me because those are the two gimmicks I like in movies. Mm, I, need to, I need to watch that. Actually. It's on the thing. Yeah. I might, I might, might watch that tonight, actually. Um, um, obviously, you have no opinions on it, but we'll wait for that. Um, also, on the site, obviously, the Twin Geeks cast still going along. You're talking about a movie next week, and um, I wonder if you're going to talk about a certain negative trope in that film. We'll see. <laughs> uh, I read... A review of it on Letterboxd been like, when's he going to mention this? Oh, he hasn't. Interesting. <laughs> so that'll be an interesting one. It's a movie I like. Um, and uh, the Daydream cast is back. Yeah, uh, back again yeah. after eight weeks, I think. So yeah, after happy a hiatus, back. you know. Yeah. That's classic video game behavior. You know, they just want to play video games <laughs> and they didn't want to record about them. Um, so that is coming back with Jesus Neo Turf Masters. Yeah, yeah. Awesome golfing game. At, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's the kind of games we can bring back the audience. Oh, I can't with my Neo Turf Masters podcast. Um, and they'll be covering then... uh, E3, which is <laughs> exciting. <laughs> so if we're listening to about E3 yes. and Neo Turf Masters. Um, so yeah, that. And actually, I will be hopefully on the episode after that oh, the Dangerous fantastic. Podcast, talking about Fez as the main game, which I know Vaughn loves. Love as I and um, Katamari Tamasi <laughs> and um, Guild Wars. Um, so there you go. Cool. It's an interesting lineup. That's hmm. yeah, all, all current hits. <laughs> I'll be reviewing Suicide Squad. That is a giant shark. Uh, is that a you'll be reviewing Suicide Squad. I don't think you will, Calvin. Yeah, well, uh, I don't think you will, Calvin. That film came out a long time ago. I'm afraid. The Suicide Squad. Oh, The Suicide Squad, <laughs> an entirely different movie. Yes, I think you will be record- recording reviewing that. Um, yeah, I should just review the old one and battle it with the new name. <laughs> right. There are only. I mean, obviously. I mean, you haven't seen it yet, have you? No, uh, I'm seeing it with Vaughn here on. Tuesday. I want I, I want a message yeah. from both of you after you've seen it. Um one, is it good? Um no, and two, um, does, <laughs> does anyone say what well, are we some kind of the suicide squad? Because I They've want to know to. if that happens. <laughs> yeah. We will um, let you know. That's all I want to know. And then I'll read your review. Uh, maybe even edit it. I'm looking forward to it. 
So um, until then, um, we have been Stephen, Calvin, and Vaughan. Uh, find us on the Twin Geeks and find us on Letterboxd. Um, rate, comment, subscribe to whatever it is you do to podcasts. Find it. Get a carrier pigeon, write its name on it, message in a bottle, spread the word somehow. But also, read good books, say kind words, do good deeds, be a good person. Yeah.